It was a little bit rainy. We had our, our plan intact, though, to, um, to shift, and I'll give some directions at the end of the sermon today as to uh, the pitch-in and what we're going to do. We're going to end up mostly in here, but I'll need a little bit of help if you're able to, um, and I'll give those directions here at the end of it. Watch it just not rain this next two hours. That would be a great irony. All right. Well, good morning. Uh, I'm Eric, uh, lead pastor here at Common Ground Northeast. It's good to see you all here today. It's good to be able to celebrate what God has done and to lift up our voices unified together um, today. Um, There's two things that I just wanted to highlight, and then we'll jump into today's sermon, and it's just this idea. We we have this revival coming up on um, the 17th of May, and I just want to make sure that everyone has their eyes and ears on that idea. It's a special night for us to be able to come here, be a support to another congregation, but to be ministered to by another congregation um, that has had a long time friendship with Pastor Ken. And so we want to invite you to that. And then again, just to highlight the sisterhood brunch, all the ladies are invited. It's not just for moms, um, but, but anyone here who would be a part of the, the sisterhood of that. Um, and it's uh, going to be on that, that Saturday. And then guys, be, be ready to, I, I did not realize I was going to be in uh, white shirts and black <laughs> pants, but we'll, uh, we'll make the accommodation for sure. So um, Today, real quick, I want to do a, just a, a very brief uh, review um, and then jump into today's uh, topic that we're, we're doing. If you're um, getting here for the first time, we're doing uh, just a series on the gospel and mental health. Um, and so last week, what we did is we, um, this is our, let me say this, this is our second swing at this. And in, uh, a, I think, May of 2019, we did a two-part series and realized that we needed to cover more of this. And as I get into this, there's a lot of it where it's like going back and forth of what part of this is my role as a pastor and what part of it is not my role. Step out of it, stay in your lane, don't try to be a therapist because that's not what you're qualified to do. And there's some overlap in there because I do a lot of counseling. I've had a lot of, um, you know, m- ministry training for pastoral counseling. But as we look at it, um, we wanted to see that mental health was mentioned throughout the Bible. It doesn't use the same language that we use in the 21st century. That's because it wasn't written in the 21st century. But it's there. It's all throughout it. It includes, uh, that, or it is included in the ministry of Jesus, uh, and in some ways, like, almost strikingly um, specific to the things that Jesus was going from town to town to do as he healed people, and all of the factors that would contribute to mental health challenges, right? Intense anxiety, extreme stress, abandonment, public ridicule, all of these things are actually found not as a distant, like, I know a guy who knows a person, but, but specifically in the life of Jesus himself. He knows very clearly, very intimately what makes uh, 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 this, this cha- the challenges of, of mental health so difficult. He walked through those things. All right, it's in the life of Jesus, right? Not something he knew about, not something he heard about, but that he was under the duress of some of these things. It makes him the perfect person to go to and, and to be honest with and to engage with on these things. He can empathize in a real way, not in a trite way that often um, we as humans will, will tend to do. But we also wanted to bring some practicality into it. That Jesus prescribes for all of the Christian life, not excluding this, that we should have a community of people around us. And that is people who are in your friends, family, social networks, support systems, etc. But also clinically and medically trained people who are therapists and doctors that can address these things from an informed and trained, skilled way. And so if you've heard along the way, um, and one of the things that we want to make as clear as possible is that if you've been told that your faith expression is at odds with a clinical expression of mental health, then somebody lied to you. 
It is okay. We had the, t- you know, it's, a, it's kind of a funny little meme of a thing, but there's a t-shirt. It says, I can have Jesus and a therapist too. That's okay. So we just want to say, lean on the community that God has given us, all of the tools that God has given us, including faith, not excluding that. There's times that God just heals, but there are times like my healing mechanism is that you go to see a doctor about this situation. So we wanted to um, make sure that those ideas are, are all kind of integrated, which brings us to today, because what I want to talk about today is this idea of human integration, all right. This this um, uh, someone was reminding me last week. They gave me a quick thing. I should have probably said um, in the last one just 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 to give people a heads up that I was going to talk about suicidal ideology in in the in the opening. So sorry, I did not do that. We will be talking um, very lightly though about trauma today. So I just want to give you the heads up. And if that's a, a thing that you're like, I, I just that's not for me today. Again, it's going to be very light today. Um, but I wanted to give everyone the opportunity to understand that that's what they're you, you prepare your heart or even step out if you felt like you needed to. But the idea of trauma and personhood and identity and fragmented self-ideology, the difficulty in this series, again, I'm not an expert on mental health, so, so I have this, this counseling part of me that is, uh, you know, trained in certain areas. Uh, I got, you know, like a counseling minor in my undergrad. I went through chaplaincy training just because I thought it might be helpful over the COVID season, so I took this kind of class and got certified as a chaplain. Um, but you don't want to confuse the role. Like, I'm here to preach sermons, not summarize all of the books that I've read, but I would recommend all of the books that I've read. Um, and maybe I'll make a list of those things and even some others that I wasn't able to get to, um, podcasts as well. But my question looks more like instead of how do I summarize these things and convey psychological trends, where does the Bible speak and where does it not speak on these ideas? How does God engage this according to the scripture, right? Given the context it was written, all right, first century in the New Testament knowledge, um, at the crossroads of Greek, that's not the whole Bible, but the, the, the parts that I'm going to talk about today, at the crossroads of Greek and Hebrew interaction. And there's a lot to talk about in there. How is the world's wisdom overlapping with the biblical, and how is it in opposition to it? I wanted to try to see how the church got this topic right in this past, and how it maybe didn't represent God as well as it could have with cheap answers and even spiritual abuse. And so the Bible speaks a lot on what it means to be integrated, whole human beings. And there's various competing views about whether or not we should compartmentalize and disintegrate. Um, by that, I don't mean like dissolve, but you know what I mean? Like compartmentalize ourselves out. And I'll give a little bit more about what I mean on that, um, as opposed to being integrated whole human beings. And so let me give a little bit more about what I mean by compartmentalized. I think uh, when, when you think of, 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 the, of the body, when you think of the mind, when you think of the different parts of who you are, do you think of the material parts and the body as a separate individual distinctly different from the immaterial parts of you, mind, spirit, soul, which is some of the language that we use for that. And we'll, we'll get a little bit more specific later. But do you, do you compartmentalize one from the other? And that's this. And they're kind of, they don't necessarily interact, but this is the way that they are. And it's perpetuated all the time, at least in a pop culture kind of a way, right? Have you not ever seen a Tom and Jerry cartoon or a Roadrunner where someone in that situation gets smashed and then all of a sudden like a spirit rises up into the sky. I went back and found with the miracle of YouTube today this old cartoon that I remember seeing from, uh, you know, as a childhood on Nickelodeon, and it's this thing that the cat came back the very next day, the cat, does anyone know what I'm talking about? Probably some of you are like, this is weird, man. 
in this situation, this cat dies like eight times. This guy's trying to get away from the cat. It keeps coming back. It won't leave him alone. It's tearing up his house. And then eventually something he does to try to get rid of the cat, uh, he, he accidentally hurts himself. He dies. His spirit goes up and he thinks he's escaped the cat only to find out that the other eight lives that died before are all up in heaven with him. So it's this funny kind of idea uh, that, that's there, but there is, there is an idea, an anthropological understanding of humanity and, and I guess the animal world, that there is a body that goes and is discarded and that the soul or spirit, however you want to word that, goes off and separates into something else, right? If you've seen Patrick Swayze's ghost, now come on, like this is old school um, in there. If you've seen The Haunted Mansion with Eddie Murphy, like these are all ways in which movies and pop culture fortify this idea that these are two separate ideas and when someone dies, their spirit floats up into the clouds or has unfinished business and has to take care of it in order to move on. Quote, move on. Um, this idea isn't new. This is a, 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 an idea that we perpetuate now, but it was popular in the first century. Philosophers called um, the agnostics, or Gnostics, um, would, in the Bible, uh, uh, try to convince, um, it, through philosophy and through public discourse, that people would see the body as something that is evil and the spirit as something that is good. And the Bible works very hard to refute this idea over and over and over again, and I get it. It's actually, it's easier to deal with ourselves when we can break it apart and compartmentalize things and understand what these things are. But the truth is, we are very complicated, whole, integrated human beings. It's all connected. And, and what I want to do is kind of give some basic understandings theologically of what I mean by that, then bring it out to some of the practical stuff. So to fully get this, we need to go from the ground up. I want to do that with two basic theological truths um, that, that connect this positive, and then connect it to positive mental health and encourage us towards um, this understanding of being integrated and chasing after and finding ways to become more integrated as humans. So this first layer, and this is going to sound like we, a broken record. We've talked about the Imago Day before, but we live in this kind of this, this world um, in between the imago Dei or the image of God. That's kind of the Latin term for us being made in the image of God in Genesis 1 and 2. Then it intersects with Genesis 3, which is where the fall of creation takes place. And so I want to do just a quick little theological lesson and then build out upon that. A lot, I think, a lot of the disintegrated thinking stems from what you were taught at the, as whatever the beginning of humanity is. So Genesis 1.27 says this. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. Then seven times, not then, but in that same area, seven times God of Affirms that all of creation was what? Good. Now, have you ever heard someone say, hey, this is how you evangelize. You're a sinner going to hell, and if you need, uh, if you realize you need Jesus, and you get to go up, and your spirit separates out and goes to heaven. It doesn't start there. And we did a whole, like, giant over-COVID series called The Gospel Story, wherein we said that's not where the gospel story starts. Not with that. It starts with you were created good. There's an entire two chapters devoted to the goodness of God, and God affirms the goodness of who humanity is and even gets to verse 31 and calls humanity very good. Don't stop and move past that too quickly. Internalize that. Don't go in one ear, one out the other. Say, well, I mean, it, it, it sounds like awesome, like, like, like you're not so bad. God didn't say, oh, I made, and, and you know, it wasn't bad. 
Uh, day two, I made this, and day three, four, it was, it was okay. It wasn't bad. It was pretty, pretty all right. He said, good, and good, and good, and good, and very good, because he wanted us to know that he created good, whole things, whole human beings, whole elements of the earth, whole elements of trees and birds and fish in the sea, and they're all good. And I think if we can start there, it completely changes the script that we have been told about humanity. Now, now there is a but, all right? And we have to deal with that but. This good creation in chapter three was broken. And so the result here on the other side of this rebellion from humanity is that we wade in this inconsistent, variable world that does not operate as good as it was intended to be created. And listen to this, there are still remnants of that goodness still embedded in creation. In fact, the reformers called this common grace. That the essence of the goodness of the Garden of Eden is still amongst us. It's not like everything is just horrible and bad now. And so it creates this complication. The way, the best analogy I can think of for this is it's like a puzzle piece that you have. And it was completely, uh, you know, completed, no pieces missing. You see the picture and what it was meant to do. And then it was dropped on the ground and shattered. But if you pick up individual pieces, you still see the essence of that original picture. It's not erased. It's still there. There's this common grace still amongst us. And so we live at the intersection of both God's good creation and the fall. And so the idea is meant to inform our understanding of self-identity. And this is what I think happens. The easy way to handle this is to compartmentalize our existence and pick one and run with it. So whole denominations, whole um, uh, movements in the Christian history have attached themselves to one of these things and ran with it. And so if you want to emphasize the view that all of you is just all bad, I'm going to take the emphasis on total depravity. I'm going to focus on chapter three in creation. And then I'm going to talk a lot about sin nature, all about sanctification and no grace. And so I'm going to highlight verses like Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? I think often the result of that is that we have this controlling narrative for fear that people might go unhinged. So we start to build these things, legalism, creating systems, full systems of theology that deny the good and defer to rules or an authority figure to make decisions for you. Sometimes they build environments where one person or just a small group of people have the sole authority to claim truth from the scripture. That, my friends, is called a cult. No one has that. So even with the best of intentions, right? Like that, that to me has this nefarious kind of thing. But even with the best of intentions, people will double fence things in. They take the scriptures. This is what it says. But look, let's, let's build a rule a little bit more outside of it. Let's fence that thing in. Well, well I don't want people getting too close to that thing because then they're too close to the actual thing that's a problem. So let's, fend, let's build another fence out here. Well, let's build another fence out here. The Pharisees were really good at this. Uh, and I would say even generations in recent history have been really good at building fences around fences. And the problem is once somebody realized, wait, this fence that you built all the way out here isn't actually in the scriptures. So what else did you tell me that wasn't true? 
Because it actually said that, like, there's certain things I can do and not do, but you just told me I couldn't do it altogether. So what parts of this are the real thing and what parts aren't? And so in the midst of this, it creates this immediate, I think, for, for the group that intends good out of that, an immediate solution because you can kind of course correct people and force them into moral, some kind of moral standard that you've deemed biblical until the next generation comes in and realizes the framework is all messed up. It has to reevaluate everything. But we go to the other side as well. Um, I want to only dwell on the goodness parts of my humanity. And so the emphasis gets put on God's good creation, like we just did. Grace without sanctification. Verses like Romans 15, 14. I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with the knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. That sounds awesome. There's a lot of uh, uh, confidence in humanity's ability to not mess anything up. And so the result here is all my thoughts, all my opinions, again, taking it to its extreme, all of these things, all my uh, perspectives and experiences are truth. All right? And you've heard, I'm sure you've heard the phrase and said the phrase, this is my truth. What, what, what's really being said is this is my opinion, this is my perspective. Now, let me make a quick side note because I, want, I wonder sometimes if the reason for that statement to elevate an opinion to truth, to take uh, an idea that you've had or a thought that you've had and elevate to truth comes from a place of pain because in my observance, it's so appealing to come into this when you have walked under an inequitable or an abusive social system, right? It's an honest attempt to say, hey, I had agency that was denied me by this organization. It was being taken from me. My opinion, my perspective was not validated, was minimized, taught to me as immaturity or disobedience even instead of listened to. And so we end up competing for authority and saying, well, then this is a true statement. When in the end, like, look, I say things that aren't true all the time. And it is my opinion, it's my perspective, that doesn't mean it's always true. It's an honest attempt to course correct these overzealous theologians who preached on just depravity, sin, and the false. So hear me, your opinions and perspectives are valid. I hope you feel that they're valid here. I hope that we have created an environment that allows those things to be heard and felt out and explored and taken seriously and that agency is not taken from you. If I'm honest, I probably have messed that up along the way. But, but hear me too, that doesn't make your opinion or perspective truth. It could be true. It might be. But that doesn't automatically make it that. And so if you take a look at human history, what you're going to see over and over again is well, I'm going to come over here then because everyone over there is kind of taking it too far. So I'm going to come over to this end. Well, well I, this breaks down at some point. I'm going, to, I'm going to come over here. I'm going to get as far away from that thing as possible because y'all have taken this too far. There's things you're making up there. You're saying are, are, are things that are in the Bible that aren't even in the Bible. Okay, now you're taking this side too far, right? And you can literally just plot out this left and right pendulum swing back and forth over here and over there where we're constantly trying to course correct ourselves generation after generation after generation. And so here, here's kind of this integrated, what I believe um, the scriptures want us to understand. The difficult truth is that the Bible legitimates both of them. We have Genesis 1 and 2. You were made good, and we have Genesis 3, and you are flawed. 
The, the thing is, what, what happens, we, we, we are supposed to integrate these contradictions of who we are. There's these competing worlds. And, and, and let me say, I felt this real strongly this morning when I was prepping and kind of rereading through my sermon. There may be seasons wherein the pain from over here was so great, you just need to live over here for a bit. And then times over here where this got so confusing or disoriented that, man, I just need a few uh, rules around me to kind of help me restabilize in this situation. Do you understand what I'm saying? There are times to live in those things, but when you say one is just completely wrong and the other one is, is, is uh, the correct way in which this is happening, we are meant to live as integrated contradictions in between both of these worlds. We don't get to settle on easy answers from either end of the spectrum. It's so easy if I can just say it's, it's this one. Or this one. Do you know what I'm saying? But once again, we have a tension filled dynamic. I always love to tell you when there's tension filled dynamic, that's life. That's alive. If you go to either side of that, that's death. If you settle into either one of those, it's death. Listen to the rest of the Romans verse that I read, because I think Paul was actually living in the middle of these two worlds. I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge and competent to instruct one another. Yeah, man, thanks, Paul. That's nice. Yet, I have written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again because of the grace that God has given me. I think we have the next verse. I don't need it for today's purposes. But, but catch what he's doing. He's like, oh, I had some things I need to correct but I have a lot of confidence in you, and I'm, and I'm speaking from grace because I'm a messed up person. You see where he's like? He's like living in these worlds. It's both. We don't get to be either one, and I want to validate and emphasize that this is so hard to do. This is not the easy road. This is so difficult. It's really, really hard territory to reside. It's like that no man's land where you're not on the ally or the other side and you're trying to like sit in this middle no man's land, right, is what they would call it in certain wartime scenarios and you could take shots from both sides and you have opportunities to speak peace into both sides. And so you end up wrestling over and over with these questions. Can I trust myself or not? Can I distinguish the good from the bad? Can I understand what righteousness is from unrighteous? Or what about things that are not obvious? They're not good or bad. They need to be kept under certain parameters. How do I handle those things? How do I know when my self-ideation gets to an unhealthy level and I need to correct this? How do I know when I've been too hard on myself or just had a, uh, an accurate understanding of me? I'm being selfish today? Or how do you know when you've gone to the other side? Man, I'm great. I'm so, I'm like, people should come to me for advice. I've got all the answers. How, how do you know when you've got, you've got a, a healthy confidence or you've crossed that line into like, okay, chill out, like stake it down a couple notches, right? That's a real thing that you have to wrestle with. And so we have to take this idea, we need to understand, get help, perspective from outside of ourselves or even seek professional guidance and, and the scriptures, Identity and perceptions of self-esteem are often, now let me bring it back to, to mental health. So that's the theological idea, but here's, here's where I want it to, to connect with mental health. Identity and perceptions of self-esteem are almost always the place that mental illness wants to attack. 
It's one of the first battlegrounds for mental illness, no matter which one you're dealing in. And I'm sure some kind of sit outside of it. But when you go with the kind of the classic ones that people tend to deal with, anxiety, depression, when you're dealing with situations where you're really trying to understand what is accurate and what is true around you, there, there is these circumstances that you're living in that move left and right and kind of flow back and forth. It's like this current that you're caught in, almost waves that are just tossing you back and forth. There's a verse about that and we think oh man i'm worthless or 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 man i'm the greatest thing or 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 like i what my my dignity i don't even know if i if i can be considered a dignified person it's all based on how good or bad my situation is or even how my day might be going in a particular situation and so my value can often um, and, and then I'm going to read a somewhat long quote by Ryan Weller from, from the anxiety, depression, other things we don't like to talk about at church um, uh, about this. But this idea that our circumstances have so much say in how our mental health is doing in a given situation. And I, I know that the Imago Day, that idea we teach on all the time, it, it, it sounds basic. But having this firm grasp on the doctrine of the Imago Dei and intersecting it with the fall of humanity is such a powerful tool to combat this. When you can rest knowing, I'm not just a bad person, I've got goodness in me, or I'm not completely good, I've got some things in me that are flawed. When you can live in that world and find peace and rest in understanding it, the scriptures then become this anchor that help us to understand that this is unmerited favor, unmerited grace, so that we don't think too high or too low of our own capabilities. Now here's the quote that I was referring to, Ryan Waller. One of the hallmarks of mental illness is taking an overly negative view of oneself. A single setback, a minor mistake at work, a relapse in your symptoms can jumpstart a negative loop of self-defeating thoughts that make it difficult, if not impossible, to gather an accurate self-image. Has anyone been there? Have you ever been in that space? On the flip side, people who are mentally healthy know they are worthy of love and respect both from the, uh, worthy of love and respect both from themselves and others, regardless of their circumstances. Is that not good news for those of us who have been there? They implicitly understand that just because things aren't going well doesn't mean they can't see themselves as being well and that all human beings have inherent value. Now listen to this very last thing. For Christians, you're listening? For Christians, this means knowing we are loved unconditionally by the God of infinite grace and mercy who takes us in his arms and calls us his beloved children simply because we exist. How different would your life be if you actually took that true to heart? I'm going to read that one more time. For Christians, this means knowing we are loved unconditionally by the God of infinite grace and mercy who takes us in his arms and calls us his beloved children. Simply because we exist, how different would your life be if you actually took that truth to heart? This is good news. And consider the reverse is true. Good mental health leads to a positive self-image by allowing us to feel the love of others and love from ourself as well as love from God. It's like that, that negative self-image can actually block your ability to ingest or to receive that somebody might love you without exception, without my merits playing into that or factoring into the equation, and that people, yourself, and God will have this ability to penetrate you because your mental health is in a good place. So it's valuable. 
Understand this Imago Dei. Understand that God, underst- that God knows us as people who are caught in between these two worlds. The second theological kind of layer of this foundation I want to lay um, is that we tend to compartmentalize our personhood. Now, I'm going to give a little bit more description. We see the different parts of human self, traditionally, right, mind, body, soul, spirit, heart. There's all kinds of ways to describe it as completely different things from each other. All right, so, so most anthropologists agree to some version of this, but it's especially harmful that we might get to a place where we think our souls, our spirits are, quote, the real us, as opposed to our bodies. Or we are being released from our bodies like it's a prison. That's an escapist theology that this world is horrible and one day I will be released from this body, but you know what? When the new heavens and new earth comes, you get back into your body. You're an embodied person according to the scripture. And so, so we have this idea that we're released from it or we envision that our spirit is the good part of us and the body is the bad part of us. Now metaphors are used in the scripture like this and, and let me say compartmentalization is not always bad, right? If, if you ask a surgeon to do your therapy or your therapy, a therapist to do surgery on you, you made a mistake, Right? There's good reason to say, hey, I need someone specialized in this area. So we're going to compartmentalize it so that person can get real good at identifying the issues here and work on that situation, specialize in a certain area. But we can compartmentalize to the extent that we just become these um, disintegrated, separate people. So yes, we are souls or spirits with a mind that reasons with a will that acts and makes decisions, with emotions that feel real feelings, and we are biological, flesh and blood humans with electricity, hormones, and neurotransmitting chemical reactions going on all the time. Both. And you could see this even as we pointed out in the last sermon, the medical world really struggles to categorize mental illness, vacillating between is it a disease or a disorder? Do we favor the physiological or the psychological in this thing? And um, this, this quick little idea of, of basic anthropology comes from a book by Preston Sprinkle called Embodied, gives kind of the main views, and I just wanted to throw this up there. We have like a little timeline. Um, and, and so uh, just so you could read that, we made those kind of jump up. That is not meant to be like increasing value or anything, right? From left to right, it's a gradient or a spectrum. And we start with the left side, physicalism, meaning that there's no spirit or soul. No immaterial part of you exists. It's all just neurology, all right? And your emotions, imagination, your will, they're all just byproducts of a three-pound chunk of meat called the brain. Preston Sprinkle quote, not me. Non-reductive physicalism, that there is an immaterial part of you, but it's inextricably bound to your embodiment. While our existence can't be reduced to just our physicality, neither can it be separated from our uh, f- neither can it be separated from our physicality. So there is no body-soul distinction, only in soul bodies or embodied souls. Soft dualism. You not only Oh, sorry, the body and the embodiment are significant to personhood. However, soul and body are two ontologically distinct substances that are conceivably separable. All right, so that's where it can become separable. Strong dualism. Not only are there a soul and a body, but they're two fundamentally distinct parts of the human body, the uh, the human person. But the immaterial soul is much more central to who we are than the physical bodies. Extreme versions of this might even denigrate the body as worthless or even evil, which is the Gnostic view that we talked about. So do you see 
see how it kind of just, it gets more separated towards the right and more connected towards the left. And as I tend to do, uh, it's even a joke in, in our preaching collective that Eric loves to get rid of the left and the right far ends of everything. So get rid of one and two, get rid of eight and nine, and we're going to live in that middle place. And once again, I think that's true here. Christianity is somewhere in between non-reductive physicalism and soft dualism. There is conversation about them being separate, but for the most part, there's an integration to those things so that they interact together, they work together. And so where do we get this idea? What, I mean, the Bible does say soul, spirit, body. In fact, we're going to talk about the Shema in just a second. It comes mostly from two verses. Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24 says, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. And then we see Jesus quote the Shema, which is from Deuteronomy 6. In Mark 12, 29, he says this, the mo- to, he's being asked the question, which is the most important law, right? And he says, the most important one, Jesus answered, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And Jesus even adds to the original prayer, it doesn't have mind in there. So Jesus adds a category. Most people think it's because of the phil- philosophies and understandings, the emphasis put on, on these ideas of philosophical teachings in the Greek world that he was living in. So, so is there compartmentalization? Yeah, to an extent. But I want you to see this, is that even um, as you read Jewish scholars over and over on this stuff, they are always constantly perplexed at how Christians tend to take this verse. Christians always view this through this Western lens of compartmentalization. We have a Western orientation, these influences from the Age of Enlightenment that take more reading into these uh, categories than they were ever meant to. So we love picking apart details. We love putting them in, in categories and compartmentalizing. Why do you think we do that? It's easier to understand. And in fact, once you understand it, according to the Age of Enlightenment, it's easier to control right? If I can understand rain and, aggreg- and, and, and um, irrigation, I don't have to be dependent upon the rain. I can create reservoirs and ducts that go down, and I can actually control these things. And not, not all of that is bad, but you understand that's the idea. If I can understand it, take it apart, detail it out, then I can figure out how to uh, reverse engineer that and control the situation. And not everything is meant to be controlled. So we love picking it apart. We like to parse it out, categorize it, try to understand it, but that's not necessarily what's happening here. And that's not what Jewish people did in any of these centuries, including to today. We are the sum of all of these things. We have heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you can do Greek word uh, uh, you know, studies on each of these things and learn a lot about what it means. But in the end, we as Westerners overthink these things when God was simply saying, listen, listen to this. I just want all of you. That's what this means. And if you interact with Jewish roots stuff, anyone who comes from that background, they're like, oh yeah, that's right. I forget you Westerners get all weird about these things. It just means he wants all of you. And the idea here is in case you're tempted to leave parts of you out, know that I don't want just components of you. I want the whole thing. One analogy here that we would hear all the time is I can't move from one house to the other and leave my leg behind. Because the leg is a part of my body. So if I'm moving, we're all going. The whole of us, I can't leave my blood back there. 
I can't leave aspects of my, my, my humanity back in that other area. Another analogy that's used over and over is using a recipe and bread. If I want to eat bread, I don't go to you and say, hey, man, I would love a loaf of wheat and flour and oil and whatever other things you might put, yeast inside of your bread. You just say, I want the bread, the whole thing. Now, I could get that detailed if I want, but, but we can no more disentangle our heart, mind, body, and soul than we can take a loaf of bread and break it back down into its ingredients. It's not possible. And so what we want to do is to kind of find this art of reintegration where we're not analyzing things. And, there, and like I said, there's value in compartmentalization. But if we were to bring this all together, let me read to you from the Jewish New Testament one of the commentaries I commonly use. Whether a human being consists of three parts, body, soul, and spirit, as the verse 4.12 suggests, or two, body and soul, which Matthew suggests, or physical attributes of spirituality, 1 Corinthians 5.3, etc., it's much less important than that the whole person, the entire living soul or living being should become holy and loves God. That's the point. So we can't break ourselves down into these pieces. So what happens then when we try to live in this world and just say, hey, I'm going to work on this part of me? And so for years, I put more of my emphasis on education and doing things. I did not really care much about my body. I did not care about much of those things. But then you find, like, I'm studying and I'm getting tired while I'm studying. So, hey, well, what's wrong? Well, when's the last time you exercise? Exercise? I'm not talking about exercise. I'm over here getting a seminary education, bro. Well, when's the last time you like, got a good night's sleep and stopped drinking so much coffee? Well, uh, that's, I'm, 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 talking, I'm talking education. We're, this is all meant as like, but these things are connected. And so, and so check this out. As we try to disintegrate those things, they will betray you eventually by interacting without you. And so the body will say, no, 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 you don't get to just go on without me in this situation. The mind's like, well, you can't just move on without this aspect. And the spirit and soul is all a part of it. So when we have this mental health conversation, we have to understand that all of us are, in fact, these whole beings interconnected with direct, and though we can give direct special attention to the components, in the end, they are all undisconnectably connected. I made that up just now. I hope you like it. And so doctors like Bessel van der Kolk, who wrote this, it's like the seminal text on trauma, body, the body keeps the score. They're trying to get you to understand just this fact, that you're ignoring your body in the midst of this psychological treatment that you're taking in. So our mental state affects our bodily state, and our bodily state affects our mental. And so this is why somebody might encounter a scent, a sound, a taste, etc., and it brings up a memory in your mind. Your body triggers something going on up here. Right? I have this, if I smell dried flowers, I am immediately taken to this shed in Oregon where my Aunt Debbie was drying flowers so that she could sell them at a farmer's market. Without fail, if I smell dried flowers, I'm there. Now, that's a good one. Now, imagine if your taste, touch, smell, scent is attached to something that happened to you that was bad, like a car wreck, or something that you may have uh, struggled with uh, uh, that, that is, uh, well, we were talking yesterday about things that you've eaten that maybe attach themselves um, to, to a memory that was difficult for you to process. Eventually, no matter how much you parse these things out, they interact, and so it manifests itself through your body, even if you want to take them apart. So an eye twitch constant fatigue, lack of energy, feeling sick to your stomach, knotted up sensations in the gut because you heard a sound. 
That's the reality of these things, spontaneous crying, and you don't even know why. It's attached to something. So trauma, for instance, often needs bodily awareness connected with mental and emotional processing. Andy Kolber um, is, a, is a, a therapist who specializes in bo- bodily, um, I guess it, it, there's a term for it, but body-based trauma uh, therapy. And she says this, trauma is something that has overwhelmed your nervous system's capacity to cope, and the experience itself is stuck in your body. Now, that might be common knowledge to you. That was new to me when I came across it and what led me to read the, the, the Body Keeps the Score. So if it is reactivated, we re-experience something that's in the past as though it were in the present. And so we recognize things like PTSD. We recognize things that need to be worked through that have attachments to your body as well as your mind. And now I want to bring in the spirit as well. Listen to this verse from Ephesians. This agrees so well with the scripture that, that, that you respect and it is assumed that there is attentiveness for your body and it's all integrated. Ephesians 5.29 says, After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. And as Jesus was quoting the Shema in the midst of it, he's pointing us towards this idea of this integrated reality. You can't escape it. You can compartmentalize it to understand it a little bit, but eventually these things catch up to you. They're all integrated. So we can try to get into this way of doing it, but all of this is meant to say all of these things, heart, soul, mind, strength, is meant to be brought into a state of devotion into the hands and arms of a loving God and to others that love God. Right, that's the second part, love your neighbor as yourself with all that you are. So finally, as a pastor, I think it's essential to understand that our soul and spiritual care also affects our mental and bodily state. I think it's more mysterious. I don't, I don't know exactly how to frame it or categorize it, but I do know while, while being tempted in the wilderness by the enemy, Jesus says that people should not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. I know that there is a part of me that has to be nourished and sustained by some kind of spiritual thing. There's this spiritual food sustaining us in the same way that physical food sustains our physical body. And if we're denying ourselves that nourishment, we eventually become emaciated spiritually in our lives. And I think it overflows. I think it affects the body. I think it affects the the mind and your emotions. I think it's just as integrated as all the rest of these things are. And I think if you neglect your spirit, it will have negative effects on the rest of you, just like those other things will have negative effects on your spiritual life. It's tricky. It takes a while. It tends to creep up on you way later. Right? It's not as immediate. If I don't eat, you're gonna you know, you can you can guarantee that I'm hangry by five o'clock, right? I don't know what happens if I don't spiritually eat. But there is going to be some kind of negative output on the other side. I believe that wholeheartedly. And so here's, here's how I want us to bring this together, just the, 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 the application. I think it's helpful to use the Shema as a check-in. How is my heart doing? How is my soul doing? How is my mind doing? How is my body doing? Use that to con- consider like, okay, how, where am I doing it? Do I need, how, if my heart is not doing well, do I need counseling? Do I need therapy? Do I need to be around community? How is my spiritual life doing? Well, is my devotional life good? Is my communal life doing well? And I want to put more effort into this body one because that's the one I wanted to integrate today. Bodily integrated practices. This is therapeutic advice. 
being outdoors. Just that straight and simple. Fresh air and sunshine are so good for you. Engaging with God's beauty is the spiritual way to frame that. It creates physiological changes in you with vitamin D and your countenance, right? I didn't know what seasonal, what is it called? Seasonal something disorder? Yeah. When the sun's out and shining, which it happens to ironically be doing right now, something good happens through that. Community and being around people is good for you. Caring for your body with exercise, diet, nutrition, it helps you to be more connected to your body, your senses, so that you can read them when they start to tell you something. It activates positive physiological changes, serotonin, and other chemicals that are good for your mood and your temperament. Mindfulness, I know, is kind of a buzzword in, in our culture right now, but I just think, generally speaking, mindfulness is this technique of like, deliberately focusing on your senses, so that you don't let yourself be distracted by other things going on, but that you're allowing yourself to become familiar enough with your sight sense, uh, your taste sense, your feeling sense, your, your, your um, ability to smell. If you practice the ability of understanding those things, that when they communicate to you, you're able to understand, oh, something's happening in my spirit right now. Something's happening in my uh, mental state that I need to pay attention to. Uh, I mean, I joked about the eye twitch. I literally have an eye twitch if I'm stressed. And I know sometimes I don't feel stressed. Why, why do I have that right now? May, is there more stress than I'm realizing? Am I minimizing the stress that I'm under right now? And it will tell me, it will inform me of something I did not realize about my mental state. And so this idea of grounding yourself with mindfulness and just becoming mindful of your body. Um, I think, I think um, putting these things under the authority of Scripture is always helpful um, in the midst of these things because I think, like anything, it can be misused. Um, it doesn't automatically in any way contradict the Christian faith, um, but I just think that we need to approach things like this. Um, you, you know, like you, you've heard those debates where people have been like, yoga's the devil, and then like nothing, you know, if you, if you do yoga, uh, you know, while listening to Christian, you know, K-love, then it's going to be biblical then kind of a thing. But you get what I'm saying. Don't swing, don't swing here or there. There is a way in which you allow your mind to be influenced by things that are biblical and not biblical. Stretching your body and becoming aware of that is a good thing, all right? And then the last thing is rest, sleep, Sabbathing, stop working, turning off your phone so that your mind can stop thinking about it. These are all practices that are good for your body, mind, soul, and spirit. So I'm going to close just with this, and then I want to pray once again the, the, the prayer that I, the verses I blessed, prayed over you all last week, I want to pray one more time. We're meant to find courage and safety in the loving arms of Jesus, amen? Uh, and so uh, to, to reintegrate, you may have disintegrated for survival purposes. God is saying, if you're ready, I'm ready to help you reintegrate. If you're in a situation where you can't even imagine what that looks like, I think it's time to start asking Jesus to help inform that. And so pray prayers. God, what does it mean to be in touch with my body, with my soul, with my spirit, with my emotions, with my feelings? We're better, more healthy, more whole people when we are integrated in ourselves and, more, and, and with the body of believers as well as Jesus himself through the scriptures uh, than if we are compartmentalized and trying to separate these things out. So what I want to pray over you is that the peace of this God um, who we serve, who we follow, would begin to find ways for you to safely reintegrate back into who God has created you to be. All right? Let me pray that with you right now.
Okay, so, so Lord, we, um, we live in a society that tends to disintegrate. And that, that's not maybe all of us. So maybe those who aren't are just sitting there like, amen. Yep, this is exactly what we need to do. Um, maybe uh, we need to be able to um, adequately compartmentalize so that we can isolate things that need work. And so God, if that's us, then help us to understand that as well. But ultimately, Lord, you meant, you wanted all of us. We want to be whole bodies going from place to place. We want to be a whole loaf of bread and not just ingredients walking around this place, God. And we want you to help us care for the interconnected, human, whole, integrated experience of what it means to be a son or daughter of God. God, so if there is um, fear of that, Lord, would you dissolve fear? If there is dysphoria where that exists, would you dissolve that? And I just want to speak shalom and peace. I don't even know what those mean. I don't even know what I'm praying something I don't even know what it means. But if there is baggage being carried into this place as we prayed in the green room before everyone got here, Lord, that it would be left on the ground. That if there is weight of anxiety or a, a, a disequilibrium of your experience that you can't even pray, you just feel like you're not even in yourself. God, would you take those things and we just want to lay them at the foot of your cross because you died to make us whole integrated people and as much as you died to help us find our way into heaven. And let us have good understandings of who we are. Have good uh, identity perception, God. And so the final verse, Lord, just the, the, the psalm, it says, unite my heart to fear your name alone, God, that we would be united only under the banner of who you are, and whatever the enemy would like to separate, would you just get rid of that and allow us to be whole? And we ask for this right now, in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen, amen, amen.